I recently read a funny story that illustrates, and I think you guys have heard this story before, but I think it's pretty good, especially for all the guys in here. I recently read a funny story that illustrates how most of us are never satisfied. Frank and Mabel, Paul and Deborah, had been married for 40 years, 22 years. Frank turned 60 a few months earlier, and they were celebrating Mabel's 60th birthday. During the birthday party, Frank walked into another room and was surprised to see a fairy godmother appear before him. She said, Frank, this is your lucky day. I'm here to grant you one wish. What would that be? What would you like? He thought for a minute, thought for another minute. And then he said, well, I would really like to have a wife who was 30 years younger than me. Fairy Godmother said, no problem. She waved her wand and poof, suddenly Frank was 90 years old. <laughs> Good morning! How many of you are here today that are happy because you're here? How many of you have joy today for why you are here? You're going, to learn, you're going to learn in just a moment there's a difference between being happy and having joy. Every Christmas season, it's the same thing. People are all over the place with smiles on their faces, mostly. You, need, you used to be one of those people, but this year has been hard. Has it been hard for anybody this year? You had to say goodbye to somebody who was part of your life. Someone who was part of you. And your heart broke in a million pieces. The kind of... Whew, the kind of jagged pieces that nothing seems to fix. So how can you have the joy ushered in by your Savior when your heart feels shattered. And here's the difference, guys. Jill Briscoe says this, happiness is when things happen to happen the way you want them to happen, and you feel happy. And joy, well, she said, joy is when things don't happen to happen the way you want them to happen, but you still have joy. Happiness is because of outward circumstances. Joy is in spite of them. I will never forget that definition because sometimes our circumstances aren't that good, are they? And some of our loved ones are struggling or have gone before us. So I want to let you know that I feel for you. My heart breaks for you. I may not even know you, but guess what? He knows you. And I know him, so we're related whether you like it or not. <laughs> Have I got a story for you? The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Hope 
has been lost. No, I mean, excuse me, discovered. See, a lot of times hope needs to have it lived out. Hope is something that we can't live without. We can live without food for a while. We can live without water for a while. We can live without air for a while. Very short while. But if we lose hope, we are in despair. May we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today to say thank you. Thank you that you thought enough of us that you came down to earth in the form of man to show us the example of how to live a godly life. Thank you that each of us hearing this message today, that we are alive and the fact that you are not done with us yet. Thank you that you, we are never alone. You love us so much and you knew that we would need direction and you left us with the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 139, 2 and 3 that you know when we sit down and when we rise up, that you understand our thoughts from afar. You comprehend our path and when we lie down and you are acquainted with all our ways. Thank you for your patience. Thank you and help us to rejoice even in times of tribulation. Help us to count everything as pure joy even when we fall into various trials. And finally, thank you that John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in you, they will not perish, but they shall have everlasting life. It is true today just like it was when John wrote it some 2,000 years ago. Lord, help us to know that you have specific plans for each and every person here today. Those plans are plans for good and not for disaster. Plans that are to give us a future and a hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Fact. How long was the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem? Further than you will ever want to know. Further than you probably would ever walk. Think about it, guys. It's not like they had all the conveniences we have. Even if you walk today, you have nice, cushy shoes that could absorb the shock and make the trip a lot less painful. In those days, they usually traveled in caravans because of thievery, because of people taking their lives in their hands. It wasn't an easy thing to do. It took Ezra and the caravan that he was traveling with four months to traverse the nearly 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. An army could have traveled much faster, but Ezra's entourage probably included children and elderly people. Ezra 7 says this, I'll try to pronounce these words correctly. Don't be too hard on me, honey. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, son of Zadok, son of Aetub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marathoth, 
son of Zerariah, son of Uzzah, son of Bukah, son of Abishua, Ab- Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the high priest. As I spit everywhere, excuse me. The, the scribe, the, this Ezra was a scribe who was well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Some of the people's, uh, people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem on August 4th, for the gracious hand of God was on him. This was because Ezra was determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees, decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. That's out of Ezra 7. Micah 5, 2. A ruler from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, and that means fruitful, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. My behalf. Matthew quotes one of Isaiah's contemporaries here. Uh, The prophet says, the Lord will send a ruler of Israel from Bethlehem. This would be no ordinary ruler. Micah says his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He will be great, and this one will be our peace. Again, this isn't just a sign or a prediction. This is God declaring his faithfulness to his people. Everybody... We've been going on a number of weeks since December 1st about the different stages of hope. In week one, we covered hope foreshadowed. That is in Micah 5, 1 through 5. In week two, starting on Wednesday, December the 4th, hope, hope's forerunner, Luke 1, 5 through 25 Week two, we went into Hope Revealed, Isaiah 9, 1 through 5. Then in week two, we went into Hope Announced. That was on a Sunday, Luke 1, 26 through 38. Week three, we had Hope is Called, Isaiah again. And then Hope's Song, Luke again. And then Hope Arrives in week four, Luke again. And today, we're going into Matthew. So if you want to turn in your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew tw- uh, one, excuse me, 2, 1 through 12. And it will be reading from the New Living Translation today. We have children in here. This is Family Sunday. I thought the New Living Translation would be a good version. And today, it is Hope Discovered. Hope Discovered. The title of today's message, again, is Hope Discovered. Did I say that? 
Not hope deferred, not hope lost. It is hope that has been found. Matthew 2, 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise guys, wise men, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when they find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave them him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Don't know about you, but I think that's probably what was there first on the scene when Jesus was born. A multitude of angels. We can't even come close to the sound that they made. But we can kind of guesstimate and we can get a, a truer sense of what it means to worship the mighty God, the Savior of the world, is in our presence. He's here this morning. We often place a lot of emphasis on the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, on the events leading up to the birth of Jesus, as I told you about all the hope that we've talked about over the last few weeks. It is quite interesting, however, to observe what happened in those days after the birth of Jesus. There's good evidence that Jesus was born in 5 B.C. In the town of Bethlehem, where Herod, the wicked one, no, he's called Herod the Great, actually, 
we'll get to that in a minute, was still living. The death of Herod the Great occurred in about 4 B.C. Remember, it kind of goes backwards, before Christ, after death. So 5, now we're down to 4 when he, when he probably passes away. A short time after an eclipse happened. The modern calendar of dating B.C. and A.D. was developed by not... I'm just trying to pronounce this word right. Dionysus, Exodus. <laughs> His calculations are off by about four years. So Christ was born not at probably zero years, but about four or five B.C. From the context of Matthew chapter 2 and secular history, Jesus was born in the closing months of Herod the Great's reign, and he returned from Egypt soon after Herod's death. It is probably impossible to be more specific as the time of Jesus' birth. The most important thing is, this is what's important, guys, is it is well documented in history. It's not just a Bible story. It's actually historical. It's an historical event. That should give us a little bit of extra oomph in our get-along. Because sometimes we, when people question us about our faith, sometimes we fall short of giving them an accurate question, answer. We, we feel a little intimidated to give an answer, right? We don't have to be intimidated by anybody. It's historical. It came from other documents besides just the Scriptures. So that, it, it just elevates the Scriptures even higher. The birth took place at a specific time and place during the reign of Herod the Great in Judea. Mary and Joseph were both of Davidic descent, whose captive, or excuse me, whose native city was Bethlehem. That's in 1 Samuel 17, 12. The prophet Micah had foretold the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, as we read earlier in Micah 2. It was in Bethlehem, David's city that the Jews expected David's greater son to be born. It was there that they expected God's anointed one to come into the world. The little town of Bethlehem was located, and uh, as I read, uh, as I read, I was interested in the fact that Bethlehem was a small town, and when I say small, it was really small. I grew up in a town of about 3,000. I don't even think at the time of Jesus' birth it was that. Census today tells us that, uh, that the population of Bethlehem is around 25 to 30,000. Population in uh, Nazareth at, in 2007 was 76,000. And the whole country, or excuse me, Jerusalem was about... 875,000, and the whole country of Israel is only about 8.7 million. The reason I tell you that is, L.A. County alone has over 10 million people. And the size of Israel is not that big. Some of you guys got to go to Israel. I can't wait. I can't wait to walk where Jesus walked, where Jesus taught, where Jesus lived 
a real man, an historical event, not just what we read and we hope that it's true. It happened. It's documented. We should praise him for that, that he gives us extra, not ammunition, yeah, I guess, but extra evidence, thank you, to help us when we lose our thought. So it's, it's a small, very small town. Old little town of Bethlehem. What a beautiful song. It's set on about a 2,500-foot ridge. It was here in a cave. And, you know, to be real honest, we don't really know where Jesus was born. We say in a stable. But really, if you think about traveling back in those days, Mary's pregnant. She's ridden on a donkey for a long ways. Nine months pregnant. They get to a, this little town. They're going back there for the reason of taxation to register because you had to go back to your hometown. She's probably talking pretty bad about Joseph right now, making him travel on a donkey. But she knew she had a story. She knew she had, was carrying the Savior of the world. So maybe she didn't complain at all. She came from a very humble background, as we know. And when they got to Bethlehem, when they said there's no room for them in the inn, most likely in those days, people stayed in people's houses. We didn't have any commercial inns back in those days. It's not recorded of anything like that. So you found, and it was hospitable for you to take people in. And since there was a time where all these people were coming back to that area for taxation and to be registered, People had used all their rooms. There was no room for them anywhere. And so most likely they were either in a cave or outdoors or in a, in a place where it didn't smell the best. There was no protection from the elements. There was no warm, comfy blanket other than what they found, maybe a little bit of hay, maybe some... Guys, I mean, I'm just trying to get you to see that it's not like it was this. The glory was, the Shekinah glory was there. But it was tough conditions. And it's been tough for Jesus from the time he's been born until today. And it will be tough for certain people to believe Jesus is who he said he is. You see, we have choices, all of us. We can choose to believe the Holy Word of God or we can choose to have hardened hearts and push that Word away. Mary and Joseph, when they found out that there was no room and uh, everything else was crowded they were obliged to look for a place of protection in the open courtyard, most likely. Angels announced to some shepherds the arrival of the Messiah. 
When Jesus was born, shepherds dropped what they were doing. Who took care of their sheep? God provides a way. If he calls you, don't say, I can't go because I'm busy. Just go. He will provide the way. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Can you just play that sound one more time? Praising God among men with whom he is pleased. These angels were celebrating the birth. I wish I could angelically project for you. They were celebrating the birth of the Son of God. Jesus the Messiah was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, a Jewish virgin. We talked about all the difficulties it must have been for Mary to be born, excuse me, to be pregnant, we have never, never been, been with a man. In those days, they could have easily gotten rid of Mary. There was a lot of weight on Joseph, but he did the right thing, because guess what? We've got angels talking to just about everybody back in that time, telling them what they needed to do. And they didn't say, oh, excuse me, I'm busy right now. Can you get back with me a little later? The shepherds ran to the manger to find Jesus and the host of angels. <laughs> the virgin birth does not ob obligate us to accept the teaching regarding an immaculate conception or a perpetual virginity of Mary. In fact, is it not that the, car, this, the carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? After the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph were probably staying for some time in Bethlehem in the uh, after the presentation of Jesus in the temple, the writer Matthew gives us one of the strongest proofs of his Messiahship. It is the coming of Gentiles and the premonitions of the greatest event of world history. Now, after, what did I say? World history, historical event. Uh, this talks about history, Joe pounds it into us that these events are real, they're history, they're part of his story. Wicked cannot overtake glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Nobody can stamp it out. I'm excited to support this I'm excited to, to read it daily and to get filled with His Spirit that just starts the day right. 
The Spirit is there. When you read the Word, the Spirit gets started. Kind of kicks you when you, when you want to not do something, when you're supposed to do it. When you know you're good to do it. And I'm not talking about my wife when she kicks me. At 2 o'clock this morning, I woke up. I've been awake since 2 o'clock, so... God has a way of saying, you only need what you need because I tell you what you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Just Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give us Jesus. We need Jesus in our life. Every moment of every day. It is the coming of Gentiles and the premonitions of the great event of world history. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, the king, Magi, I finally got to the text, right? Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Wise men from Persia or Babylonia, or Babylon, excuse me, saw this special star and they went to the beautiful country that had been born home to King David, who was born in Bethlehem. Davidic line of King David. It's interesting that Joseph was the one in the line of David. Mary carried the line forward with the birth of the Savior. So a lot of times when we see things like David's name, David was a sort of, how do you say it, bro? Sort of Christ representation. In Scripture, we learn that David had a heart after God. It was the Scriptures that guided them to Bethlehem. You know, you can take anybody, and they may not have the the the, the um, they may not have exactly the same upbringing that you have, where you might be able to read scriptures regularly. In fact, they may use the unthinkable to sh- to bring the gospel forward. There is no reason for assigning these magi certain names or to say that they were only three. Here's what they were. And there are no bones (laughs) that were found in the 4th century in the Cathedral of uh, Cologne. To say that there were three wise men is the inference of this, the three gifts. There was gold. This little dude's carrying gold. There was frankincense. This little dude has frankincense. And there was myrrh. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Almost at the same time as Jesus was born, we find Augustus, the Roman emperor, being hailed as the savior of the world. When Jesus was born, there was an eagerness of expectation. Men were waiting for God. A lot of people missed it. Remember I told you the population of Israel a while ago? Only about 2.5% are believed to be Christians in all of Israel. See, the, 
the Savior was born in his country. Even his own family struggled with identifying who he was. When Jesus was born, there was an expectation or eagerness of expectation. Men were waiting for God, as I said. It was to a waiting world that Christ came. The Magi who saw the star were seeking the light of the world. The Magi saw the star at its rising and then seemed to not have seen it again for some time. God placed the star in exactly the spot and then he took it away. Remember this back when they, they were walking in the desert and they were lost and they were roaming around for 40 years and at night they would have the pillar of fire and day they would have smoke. The same God provided that star that was so illuminous, that same constellation, that same special Christ star that led those wise men, magi, to the Savior. Those people weren't necessarily Christian, but by the time they got through doing it, it said it could have been part of uh, Daniel's original team of um, prophets of old who maybe were from the families of those that these wise men, some of them came from. The Magi saw the star at the rising and they seemed not to have seen it again for some time until it again appeared and kept on going in front of them until it stood over the child. Probably by the time Joseph and Mary were living in a house in Bethlehem. So traditionally, the wise men didn't get there to see the initial birth, probably months or maybe even a couple of years later that they arrived. And that's why they say at the house. What a strange way for a star to behave, says William Kendrickson. R.C.H. Linsky writes, The star moved as a guide. The star arrived. The star stood. It is all perfectly plain, absolutely miraculous, unlike any star that ever was. Think we'll get that same star again up here? This star actually went ahead of the wise men until it stood over all the place where the child was. The star pointed out the very house. There are variously are various scholarly opinions as to the character of the star. Uh, different nationalities have different little takes on the star. Uh, they're very uh, excuse me. The the great astronomer Kepler observed in uh, seven B.C. This an unusual conjunction. Oh, excuse me. 1603. He wasn't born in seven. Excuse me. 1603 A.D an unusual conjunction of stars and found by diligent search that in 7 B.C. there was a similar conjunction three times of Jupiter and Saturn and Pisces. In 6 B.C. Mars joined the conjunction. Kepler therefore placed the birth of Jesus around 6 B.C. The Chinese astronomical tables testified to the appearance of the uh, evangent uh, no, even, in, not evangelical, but if, how do you say that? E V A N E S C E N T. Evangent star. 
probably a comet. Uh, and the distrustworthy tale of the Chinese would agree with the date approximately of the birth of Jesus. The wise men were overjoyed when they saw the star one again, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They shouted joyfully. Isn't that cool? Joyfully, they shouted. The star kept going before them until it came to the place where the baby was, and then it stood still. This is the same star that had brought them to the land of Judea, and now they are reassured by the evidence that the star was still leading them. His star stands for a divine arrangement, an extraordinary and special movement in the stellar spaces designed to lead these men to the Christ child. It could possibly be the Shekinah glory of old. Numbers 24:17. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but not but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. The star was going before them and coming stood above the place where the child lay. Uh, could it be that the star which the Magi saw and which led them to a specific house was the Shekinah glory of God? That same glory that led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years as a pillar of fire and cloud. Perhaps this was what they saw in the east. And for, what, for want of a better term, they called it a star. All other efforts to explain this star are inadequate such as a conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, a supernova, a comet. The whole supernatural atmosphere of the birth of Christ would favor the opinion that the star was miraculous, listen to this, because of the prophecy foretelling the coming of the Messiah. The star provided supernatural guidance to the house of Joseph in Bethlehem. If I had a huge star appear that showed just how bright it shined to lead, guide, and direct, I would put it up there. We have have come to worship him, verse 2. When they saw him, they cast themselves to the ground and worshiped him. That word I I talked about at the very first of the, when I first started talking, kowtow, kowtow. In, in honor, in deep respect. Have respect for the Father. Have respect for the Son, the Holy Spirit. God came in human form, lived this life for about 33 years, left us, but left us with the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us, even now, in the midst of tribulation, of anything that might be going on in your life, No one can take your joy. No one can take your Jesus. Jesus still lives today. He reigns. He lives. He cares about you. He wants to take you home when it's your time. He wants to take you home to where he's at, where he resides. Nowhere else can you find anybody with that kind of love, that kind of guidance, that kind of strength that can give you in the midst of any and all tribulation that you might face. Woo! 
Have you come today to worship him? Have you come when they saw him? They cast themselves to the ground. They worshiped him. Do you come in the room, this room, with the expectation of being overwhelmed with the presence of God? Did you come this morning expecting to worship him? In this child, they see God and worship him. In this little one, God has become incarnate. Incarnate, both God, both man. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, Charles Wesley. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense is the gift of a priest who opens the way to God for men. Jesus opened the way to God. Myrrh is the gift for one who is to die. Myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. Frankincense, excuse me, Jesus was born in order to die for our sins. And I forgot the gold. Gold is the gift for a king. We must always meet Jesus in complete submission to him. Herod was a bad dude. Mean as mean can get. Killed his own siblings. Killed all these young children up to age two. If we read further past 12, we find out Jesus went to Egypt for a while with his parents. I got so much to do and I got three minutes to do it. You are so good, God. In this scenario, the wise men reached Bethlehem about two years after the birth of Jesus. We'll just say that. We don't know exactly, but. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were now in a house, not the stable. They could have been any number of wise men, and they're probably representatives of the wise men of Babylon. They were aware of the promised Messiah from their former leader, Daniel, and from the oracle of their founder, Balaam. Under Daniel's leadership and influence, many of them had no doubt turned from their paganism. See, he can turn hearts. He can turn hearts. He gives you the presence. He comes into you with a dream. He comes into you and tells you that I want you to come and worship me. We are having record numbers of Muslims who are having visions and dreams or who are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were unaware, however, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem because Micah's prophecy was received many years later and many miles away, back in Israel. Their intention was to seek the Messiah in order to worship him. They knew to make their journey because of the appearance of the Shekinah glory of God. This same pillar of fire led them from Jerusalem to the house in Bethlehem. Herod's response was to seek to destroy the Messiah by any means possible. Put into this context, 
we can see that the events of Matthew 2 are even more significant than the traditional card represents. And in worshiping the Messiah, the wise men made a prophecy of their own in their choice of gifts. Gold, a gift for a king. Frankincense. This is obviously an incense, the burning of which represents prayer. It is used by priests and, and indicates the priestly nature of the Messiah. Myrrh, a fragrant perfume used in embalming bodies. The inclusion of this gift can be seen as the prophetic of the death of the Messiah. The three gifts together also underline the Messiah's offices as prophet, priest, and king. Our response should therefore be that the wise men themselves to worship the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. Remember, no matter how bad, how bleak times look, God's love can never be stamped out because Jesus Christ, our Savior, is alive and well. He is risen. If there is anyone here today that feels broken, let the great physician heal you of your brokenness. Let us pray. Today, Lord, your hope has been discovered. Thank you. Many of you believe that hope and trust is to be true. Others here aren't sure. God is inviting you into a relationship with him today. Father, it is written in your word that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that you have raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. Nothing else. Therefore, Father, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. I make him Lord of my life right now. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I renounce my past life with Satan and close the door to any of his devices. I thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Jesus is my Lord, and I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Now all things become new in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's the praise team? I should have asked for them earlier, right? If you have prayed that prayer today, there's going to be men and women down here to pray for you. There's going to be people down here that are excited to meet you and invite you. Oh, you're here. <laughs> that invite you into the home and their home. You're a family. Once you come in here and you join us, you are family. No matter where you go in life, you're still family. You can't get rid of them even though they start stinking. Even if they don't agree with you, they're still your family. If you have just prayed that prayer, come down front at the service conclusion and let us know so that we can celebrate together. If you already know him and you feel that your hope has dwindled as of late, please come forward so folks can pray for you as well. If you want to celebrate because you're just excited like I am about your relationship with the Father. Share the love of Jesus with someone as you depart. Bless each of you, these children of yours. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.